Yet another Donald Trump rally, a vice presidential visit, upcoming debate that is huge, and hunting permits. This is the week of September 24th. I'm Joel Ebert, your host of Grand Divisions. I'm Dave Boucher, investigative reporter. I'm Joey Garrison, reporter here at the Tennessee. And I'm Natalie Allison, political reporter. All right, guys, big, big week here in uh, political news, obviously, in the Senate and the governor's race. Uh, just kind of wanted to go around and, and talk about a couple of the big events. Uh, the latest being that President Donald Trump is once again going to return to Tennessee. Uh, he is going to come on October 1st. Uh, that's next Monday for a rally in Johnson City and a campaign fundraiser. This news came out uh, as of the day of this recording. Um, it's going to be his, what, what is it? I think the, the fourth visit since he has been uh, president. And he's certainly trying to rally up the troops in East Tennessee, which is a key area for Marsha Blackburn. Yeah. And it talks about this. It, it shows this interesting dynamic where uh, I think the Blackburn campaign is trying to both you know, evoke the support of the president and his fans, but also try and distance herself from the president when she needs to. It's going to be interesting to see how or if she's able to do that going forward. Uh, we, we did also see uh, Vice President Mike Pence. He came to town. He was in Knoxville on Friday for a, an event called the CPAC 365, quote, Battleground CPAC event. It sounds Fantastic. Sounds like it was a lot of fun. Uh, it's put on by the American Conservative Union. They're a national organization that supports conservative candidates. Uh, Vice President Pence gave a nearly 50-minute keynote speech. Our colleague Tyler Whetstone out for the Knoxville News Sentinel covered the event. Uh, he quoted uh, the vice Pre- president saying, quote, because I served with Marsha Blackburn in Congress, I can tell you Marsha Blackburn is one of the strongest, most principled conservatives that I've ever met and have had the pleasure of serving with. Of course, Pence has previously come here in support of uh, Blackburn. He came, I believe, uh, last month maybe for in, in Chattanooga for an event. Uh, actually, it was in the lead up to the August primary. Um, so we, we saw him, um, you know, we're, and I anticipate continue seeing involvement from the White House as this race gets closer to Election Day. Uh, obviously, the big thing that we're all kind of watching is going to be the debate, though. This is coming up uh, again. Uh, the first one going to be uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, the day, you know, obviously we're recording here on Monday. We plan on having a special episode of this podcast on Wednesday that we will roll out. Uh, Joey, tell me, you know, what are some of the things that you think that we can kind of expect out of this this upcoming debate? Well, I mean, I think I think you can have. Uh, envision both sides here sort of sort of doubling down on what their messages have been. Bradison's going to be casting himself as this independent who's not going to be uh, beholden to his party nor afraid to uh, counter President Trump on things. And then you're going to have Blackburn who's going to be doubling down on her uh, being the the candidate to advance uh, Trump's agenda. And, you know, we've seen that in ads uh, uh, from the respective candidates throughout this campaign. And, you know, the, the issue I think uh, – that I'm most curious about is probably the Brett Kavanaugh issue and whether Blackburn wants to press Bradison for being noncommittal so far and whether he would, uh, you know, vote for a Kavanaugh nomination. And so, I mean, I think that's sort of the, the one opening that is the clearest right there. That's, we'll see. that's kind of a sticky wicket, though, now, right? Like right. in the last I mean, the week, yeah. we've seen a lot change with the whole uh, a second woman coming out now right. with these the latest allegations, allegations of Michael Blackburn, Avenatti stuff. Right. So. 
Uh, I mean, if Marsha Blackburn brings that up, it, it, it you might be entering uh, dangerous territory, potentially. Yeah, it's going to be a touchy subject, and it's not a clear, as clear-cut an issue for her to exploit as maybe it was a week ago. But I still think that you're going to see uh, her especially try to uh, you know, push Bredesen on that one. This, of course, is going to be in, in uh, Cumberland University. Natalie, you're going to be there. Any idea, you know, what what you think should be or could be an interesting uh, potential, you know, s- storyline that we're going to follow throughout the election or the, the debate? I'm sorry. Well, unfortunately, we don't get to see the questions ahead of time, do we, Joel? <laughs> no, we don't. So that to, much to my to chagrin. <laughs> Jumping back to Kavanaugh, though, to be fair, we're still waiting to hear back from Corker on his thoughts on the latest development. We haven't heard back from his office today. Um, this is Monday, September 24th, about what he thinks about the most recent news, the second accuser coming forward, how that's going to impact hearings and the vote. You've um, also asked uh, Alexander's office, have, right? Yeah, we haven't heard back from his office either. So, yeah, I mean, maybe Blackburn will press Bredesen on you know him being noncommittal about it, but we're still waiting to hear what Corker, who's actually in office, thinks about it. Dave, I'd like to hear your thoughts. What if... Uh, this whole thing with Kavanaugh. I mean, Thursday's hearing is is going to just be, uh, everybody thinks, kind of a blockbuster. What happens if he doesn't get through? What if there is problems and he is a candidate that can't get through the Senate? So I think uh, when it comes to how that affects the Tennessee Senate race, there are both logistical issues and political issues. Logistically, it's really important because if he's if his nomination fails, then it's very likely that either Marsha Bredesen or uh, I'm sorry, Marsha Blackburn. I like that. That's, that's a mix up there. Uh, Marsha Blackburn or Phil Bredesen gets to vote on the next person that's nominated. Obviously, there's a chance that the president could nominate someone and try to get that person through during a lame duck session. So after the general election. But that's why it's really important to, to hear from these candidates and have them talk about what their evaluation of a Supreme Court nominee would be. It's one of the most important roles of the U.S. Senate. Politically, if it falls apart, there are discussions about how these candidates talked about Kavanaugh beforehand and how that could affect their their vote. So, for example, if Bredesen comes out with a really strong statement against Kavanaugh, which he hasn't yet, but if he does, then maybe that maybe that you know, sort of speaks to those moderate Republicans that he's going for. Or if Blackburn preempts that and comes out and says, I've heard from the, the accuser, Dr. Ford, on, on Thursday, and I think that she was very credible, and I think that uh, Judge Kavanaugh should withdraw his nomination, that maybe that, you know, either loses her some Republicans, far-right Republicans, or gains her people in the middle. So I think there are political uh, calculations to weigh for both campaigns, but logistically it's vital to hear what both of them would say about, again, Supreme Court evaluations. But, ju- but outside of the, the Kavanaugh issue as it pertains to, to the debate, uh, and your story set this up nicely uh, the other day, uh, you know, this is the most significant high-stakes debate that Tennessee has had in 12 years. Yeah. You know, we haven't had anything like this since Ford Corker, where you have two uh, uh, viable, competitive uh you know, candidates, you know, duking it out uh, on a on a debate that's going to be uh, aired nationally on C-SPAN at some point. Uh, so, the, you know, the stakes are high. You noted Bradison has taken part in many debates over the years, including many statewide debates. And it's Blackburn, not so much. Right, not so much, not in really two decades, maybe. So, yeah. I mean, you know, with that as the backdrop, I mean, you could, I mean, how would you say kind of the expectation games 
are on that. I mean, I think it's huge, right? So if one candidate screws up, then it's it's certainly harder to make up ground. Uh, I think Bredesen would make the argument he's well-versed and knows these issues. Blackburn, I think she's going to go back to her, her home sticking points. You know, that's going to say, uh, you know, that he's not going to support the president enough. Uh, he hasn't committed on Kavanaugh, um, that he isn't willing to back fully the Trump uh, uh, tax stuff. Um, I think Bredesen's going to, you know, seize on the opioid issue and what Blackburn had done on that. He's going to sit there and say the tariffs that Trump has implemented have been really bad for for the state. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to kind of get back and, and, and hear from a candidate's perspective of how they prepare for these. Uh, Dave and I decided to have House Speaker Beth Harwell come into the office recently. Unfortunately, um, the audio had some errors with it, something, some kind of computer glitch. Or it was something. our fault, not hers. Uh, no, definitely not her fault. We also, uh, I, I independently talked to uh, Craig Fitzhugh. Of course, both of those, uh, Harwell and Fitzhugh, recently uh, ran unsuccessful bids for the gubernatorial election. Uh, so here's a quick little clip of what Harwell had to say about uh, preparing for debates. And I, I really think the debates are critical, and I spent a lot of time you know, preparing for them because I, I think a lot of the issues that we face on state level really deserved to be properly vetted in the debate forum. Obviously, Phil Bredesen's trying to pick away some Republicans. What does she need to do to, to, to convince some of those people who might be on the fence to come back home to, to the Republican Party? Well, I think, you know, uh, the more moderate Republicans are really looking for problem solvers. And I think uh, most Tennesseans and I think the nation as a whole feels somewhat uh, disenchanted with what they see in Washington, D.C. Um, and they really want someone that can be a problem solver, not just throw out the red meat. Again, our audio with House Minority Leader Craig Fitzhugh uh, didn't work out. That's our fault. But we, we listened through it. You could kind of hear <laughs> some, some, some jumbled quotes. But we, we talked to him a little bit about, again, how he prepared and what he liked to focus on and how he thinks that could affect both the Senate debates and any future gubernatorial debates. And he thinks that Democrats have a strong advantage in focusing on health care. He talked a lot about uh, there are people who are very concerned about affordable health care and that he thinks that having access to that health care is the number one issue facing the state. He said it's not an Obama thing. It's about affordable, accessible health care in our state. He also talked about this idea of showing your personality. Uh, I think people, and he acknowledged this, think of him as like a folksy guy that maybe you'd want to get a beer with, but you're not sure you could trust running the running the legislature. So he tried to, he tried to show who he was, he said, but he, he didn't want to come off as flippant. He said uh, folksy, but not flippant. And he thought that that might be a way to kind of like walk a line to show that he has personality, but that he actually could could run a state. Obviously, as he note, as he notes, it didn't work out the way he wanted to. But but he thinks it's really important for uh, any candidate that wants to be successful to kind of show who they are. And and uh, Speaker Harwell talked about this a little bit too about uh, looking specifically at, at Carl Dean. I think she said that he was a little bit dull. She, and that that she might, did use that word, and yeah. that that might be a little bit of a challenge for him in a debate to kind of. Uh, throw a bomb that he might need to do to, to come back. So it was interesting to hear that perspective on how one prepares for a debate. Of course, we have uh, gubernatorial debates coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks. We'll be all over those and we'll be doing special podcasts. More recently, Joey, uh, we had the editorial board separate from us here uh, bring in the uh, two candidates for the Senate. Of course, uh, I covered Marsha Blackburn recently, so we don't need to talk about that on this cast. But uh, since then, Bredesen has been on. What were kind of the, the main points that came out of his uh, meeting with the editorial board? Yeah, I think most of the discussion uh, was kind of led off with Bredesen uh, framing himself uh, as somebody who, who you know would not go to hell if he 
votes against uh, Chuck Schumer, distancing himself from the National Democratic Party, using lots of those lines like the one I just said there to uh, to, to do that. One of the more interesting things I, I think he discussed was regarding uh, the president's tax cuts, and he, he said that those were, quote, oversold to the country and really have not had a big effect in, in uh, improving the economy and creating jobs. He says they missed a, an opportunity. Uh, one For real to, tax reform. Yeah, real tax reform and also to, to have, you know, offset the, the revenue drop by, by addressing the national uh, national debt. And, and so he, you know, I, I think what's interesting about it is, is Bradison has picked, pick and cho- chosen kind of areas he's going to disagree with the president r- running in a red state like this. One of them's the tariff issue. And then I think one of them, it's more of a nuanced, delicate uh, argument he's making here, but, but on the tax cuts. And so he's been hammered, uh, you know, from Republicans, uh, from the Blackburn campaign for opposing these uh, tax cuts. Of course, he's at saying- At one point, he famously yeah. said they were crumbs. Right. He kind of walked that back Yeah, and, he, and of course, he's saying that they're, what he's trying to argue is there should have been greater tax cuts for- uh, The middle you know, class. The middle class. Yeah. There should have been, uh, but, but corporate loopholes should have been closed, that kind of thing. And so, again, he, he made that argument- uh, and he also some of the also discussed some of his uh, uh, gun um, uh, g- gun control stances, back, uh, background checks, and other ways to keep uh, guns from uh, mentally ill. Happened to be the same day, and I think we'll discuss this later here. About uh, hours later, the NRA came out with its endorsement right. of uh, Blackburn, and that's an issue we'll get to. Uh, later, but yeah, the Tennessee and editorial board, again separate from us, has been interviewing both the U.S. Senate and governor candidates, and and those will be continuing on until until uh, three next month. And Natalie, the very next day, uh, Carl Dean was in here and he met with the editorial board. G- give us a, an idea of what were kind of the highlights from what he had said. Yeah, so Carl came in. Uh, there there were no bombshells from this. It was you know sort of the same talking points he's had. He talked about his priorities of Medicaid expansion, of focusing on improving education in the state, of creating jobs. He said those were the most pressing issues for the state and for Tennesseans. And when he was asked about the urban-rural divide, he said that those issues are actually the same mostly across the board, that those are affecting um, all sorts of areas of the state, rural areas in East Tennessee, as well as he highlighted Memphis. And he said uh, that the state should be more aggressive in pursuing economic development opportunities for Memphis, that the region is competing with Mississippi, with Arkansas, and that you know the state really should be doing more to attract business and residents there. That was when he was asked, you know, what what can the governor's office do to help the situation in Memphis? He touted his experience in government. Um, you know, no surprise. No surprise at all. Um, he was asked what what's the importance of of experience in running for an office like that, and he he said that. You know, he believed just like Bredesen and just like Haslam, who had been mayors before they took the role of governor, that he also had that experience that he thought was valuable and that a businessman, he didn't name Lee, but he (laughs) said a businessman who's coming to the office of governor only with experience running a company may think that he can just set his mind to do something and do it, but it doesn't always work that way. Um, And you can't just, you know, give an order from the top down and it always is going to come to pass. And he used that to talk about how he is, you know, he's a candidate who's committed to bipartisanship, and he described himself as, quote, less partisan than I think a lot of people in public life. Um, and that's sort of a, a talking point he's had his whole campaign, is he's portraying himself as, as a pretty moderate Democrat. Speaking of uh, Lee, you mentioned him. Uh, he has yet to come in for the editorial board. 
um, uh, meeting, and that's not the only event he, he hasn't shown up for. Uh, I believe recently didn't come to a Murfreesboro event that you were at, Natalie. What was that all about? Yeah, it was actually later that day. He actually booked it from the Tennessee office uh, down to Murfreesboro at MC Suites. Carl Dean did. Carl Dean okay. did, yes, correct. Um, and that was also his birthday, by the way. <laughs> Uh, so he, he books it down to Murfreesboro, uh, where Farmers Insurance, American Insurance Association, Baker Donaldson, they were having this event that they called the Governor's Luncheon, and it was billed as an event that was going to feature Dean and Lee on stage. They were both going to give remarks, take questions from the audience. There was about 300 people there. Um, about 25 companies had bought out tables for this event. And, uh, we, you know, the reporters, there's about six of us there. We're all standing around. We notice that Bill Lee isn't on stage yet. Um, and eventually, a guy named Harvey Fisher, he's, he's a lobbyist for Farmers Insurance, but he was also organizing the event. He comes over to us, and he tells us that, that Bill Lee was not going to be appearing, um, that his, his campaign had just called and said that, that they weren't going to make it due to a scheduling conflict. Um, so Carl Dean proceeds to... Be the only candidate to speak. Um, he takes questions that had already been submitted. Uh, State Representative Ron Travis, he's Republican. He I thought was, he had one of the more interesting quotes out of this. Event. Yeah, he did. So he he um, he gets told as he's walking in that they need him to give a speech for Lee. He had no idea Lee wasn't going to be there. And he went up on stage and he stood behind the podium and he, he says, "I've known about this for about twenty five minutes now." <laughs> well, was this event emceed by Knox? I'm sorry, Rutherford County Mayor uh, yeah, Bill Ketron, Bill Ketron, and former he, Republican State Senator, who also supports Bill Lee. Obviously, an ally. Of, he of, seemed pretty caught off guard too. I actually caught Bill as he was walking up the stage, and I said, "Hey, did you know about this? What do you think?" about you know Bill Lee not coming and he you know he said he was surprised he told me I thought everything was set you know I thought he was good to go um, but I do wish that the people here could have heard from Bill as well More so th that really overshadowed the whole the whole event you know everyone seemed a little uncomfortable it was it was a little awkward only hearing from Carl um, and then and I think all the cover news coverage created yes. a story yeah. about every, the show. Every candidate there had, had a well, story and, saying Bill Lee didn't come to the event. And so, so overall, I mean, you guys came out of that and wrote a story that I think was the next day or two days yeah. after. So tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, a couple of weeks earlier, I Dean had, had raised, uh, you know, gone record ra raising these concerns about, or, or I should say, pressing Lee for more joint appearances, as they're, you know, they only have three televised debates. And it said that, uh, you know, accused his opponent of, of not showing up to other uh, invitation, you know, invited events. And uh, anyways, we wrote a story. I think there's been about 10 so far where. Ten events. Ten events where both have been invited to. We had a list of them. Uh, both had been invited to, but only Dean uh, has shown up. Now, you know, you look at that in the context of. of you know, Bill Lee is very much the front runner in this race. Has double digit lead, uh, most believe, or uh, polling has shown. Uh, there's one poll that showed him up uh, by 20 points. It was a Fox News poll. I think most people think it's closer than that. But you know, when you're when you're the f when you're ahead in a race, you have sort of the advantage of of uh, Cho picking, picking and choosing, and choosing. what you want to do. And, I, and I mean, you, it's kind of and, a tactic that right, Diane Black did in yeah, the primary. Exactly. You might, which that didn't you know, work maybe, out. Maybe it didn't work out well, but. <laughs> You know, not the best th there's usually a fear of, you know, not wanting to be too many places. Uh, well, and the, maybe stepping into something you shouldn't have, right? If you are out there speaking on the campaign trail and talking to reporters right. or people at events, you you never know what the candidate might now, slip now into. The, and the, you know, the lead campaign, you know, in, in, in response to this says, hey, three televised debates is the, the same amount as we have traditionally had. It was the same amount as Mike McWhorter and, and Bill Haslam. 
had, um, you know, eight years ago. Uh, and they also say we're running, you know, our own campaign. We're going to 95 counties and we're doing what, you know, going to the voters where we see them and doing what we need to do. They don't want Carl Dean to dictate right. their schedule. And simply what our story did is say, well, they're, you know, is a sort of a story of two different competing, you know, uh, campaign strategies here going on. And the fact remains is there, you know, are these various opportunities where both were invited and, and there have been several where, uh, the bill leave for whatever reason. Sometimes they say scheduling conflicts or whatever, you know, has declined. Well, so. and Natalie, some of these these groups, it's not like these are like liberal minded organizations that they're not going to, right? Yeah, no, not all of them. And you know, and maybe in some cases, the the bill can't. The, I'm sorry, the bill Lee campaign thinks that's the case. Like for example, we spoke with the uh, the statewide superintendents group, uh, Toss, and they they told us that. That Bill Lee not showing up to their conference a couple weeks ago was maybe the first time a gubernatorial candidate in the state had not done so in hmm. 20 years. Yeah. Um, and some of the others are the Tennessee Medical Association last week had an event, the Nashville Rotary, which is a event where uh, traditionally you have candidates who, who appear before they, they declined. Now, I've, I've, I've coming up. but I've heard some in the Lee camp say well, we should never really be in Nashville, right? Well, exactly. It's, yeah. That's it's, what it's, I was about to they're say. They're not going to win. Make the argument. <laughs> Well, but there's still a lot of voters here, and there's a lot of Republican voters. Exactly, I mean, in the business community but in regardless, Nashville. Regardless, um, you know, yeah, I think they maybe make the calculation, you know, maybe we shouldn't be spending our time in, in you know, Nashville or, or some of the big cities. But some of the events, of events that she just described, yeah, that Natalie yeah. described were, you know, the superintendent's event was in Gatlinburg, uh, obviously the Rutherford County event. So, anyways, it's something that, that we're going to be tracking on the – the governor's race and, and seeing whether, you know, maybe, you know, continues, uh, continues with that strategy or whether maybe some of these joint events ends up featuring both candidates moving forward. We'll see. It's, it's another example of politics driving a campaign as opposed to policy, which is, I think is interesting for somebody like Billy, who's never held public office before. I think there's a legitimate question that maybe he should talk a little bit more about policy and I think that the criticism, clearly driven by politics on the Democratic side, too, is talking about this idea that if he wants to run for the, the leader of the state, he shouldn't let political calculations over being in Nashville too long prevent him from talking to a group of superintendents for a half hour or something like that. So I think to your, to your point, Joe, it would be interesting to see when he gets up on a debate stage how, how he holds up. Obviously, I think the Democratic camp thinks that Carl Dean has more policy experience and can, can, can charge him at him like that. But he's, he is the man to beat right now uh, in that race. Uh, and you never know. You never know what's going to come up in a race that, that could become an issue. Uh, we saw uh, an interesting thing that uh, had more traction than we thought it would, frankly, this week come up in the Senate race uh, about hunting permits, which is always just a, a, a dandy of an issue <laughs> in some conservative states. Uh, Joel wrote about um, whether or not uh, the Senate candidates had hunting permits and when they actually had them last. Yeah, to, to kind of give you some background, a uh, couple months back when the race was still in the primary, I asked the TWRA, the Tennessee Wildlife, uh, what's the R? I always forget. Uh, whatever it is. Yeah, there you go. Uh, TWRC? No, no, no. What's TWRA. What's the R stand for? I don't know. That's what I'm asking you. <laughs> it's the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Bailing us out, as always. In case anyone was wondering. Um, so I asked them for a list of uh, which hunting and fishing permits the gubernatorial candidates at that point and uh, Marsha Blackburn and Phil Bredesen had in which years. I didn't do anything with it. I figured, hey, maybe I'll wait on this, wait for the right ad to come out, right for the right hit piece. It finally did. The NRA endorsed 
uh, Marsha Blackburn. Um, they came out and said that that Phil Bredesen is, you know, this liberal, horrible, you know, uh, gun owner. They gave him a D. They gave him a D. Yeah. Even though Phil Bredesen previously had an A with the NRA. But anyways, I, I decided this was the right avenue to write this story about how Phil Bredesen had not had a hunting permit until 2006. At the time, I thought he didn't have one at all. So I asked their campaign in the course of the reporting for this story uh, if he went hunting this year. Uh, in connection with with a campaign event, and he had a license, and they showed me he did. So he got a license literally days before the hunting season happened. So I have this uh, information as well as the fact that Marsha Blackburn had never gotten a hunting license in uh, Tennessee, despite the fact that the NRA endorses her. And I mushed it all together, kind of created a fervor. Both campaigns were unhappy. Blackburn's people said, well, hey, you need to ask uh, Bredesen if he has a carry permit because she does. Black Bredesen's people said, well, you know, they should not be in the same story because she, he has uh, permits and she doesn't, whatever. But either way, uh, this is becoming an issue in, in previous elections, including a race with Bredesen, as well as uh, just this year, I think in Montana, one of their uh, Democratic candidates does not have a hunting permit. So you never know what's going to kind of take over and, and uh, cause a fervor. But they both had a sportsman for they do. candidate merchandise. Yes, sale. they do. Yeah, yes. Uh, you can buy hats and, and I think uh, other garb for both candidates that is sportsman for, insert your candidate's name. Again, if, if you are a voter who was on the fence and then you saw a tweet from the Bredesen campaign that showed Phil Bredesen in a hunting vest hunting doves and you said, you know what? Now I'm going to vote for him. We guy. would love to hear from you. <laughs> it's, it's always just so funny what these campaigns decide is is a critical fight. Maybe there is a voter out there that said, oh, I don't know. But now that I've seen Marsha Blackburn holding a shotgun, I can vote for her. Which somebody pointed out she held it well, wrong. You know, I mean, anyway. Bredesen's trying to counter what's a soft spot for a lot of Democrats running in, in, in southern states, yeah. in, in red states. And so, you know, he trotted out the, the gun thing, what, 12 years ago when he when oh six and then uh 2002 when he ran and, and he, he also had a time. sportsman group yeah, back so then they had that fo- and so what there was like a photo op three months ago right how long uh, oh, it was I, I earlier this month yeah, it felt so, like three months ago but it was not <laughs> and i think i mean isn't it sort of to make uh you know a lot of republican uh sportsmen who, who might vote for brothers and feel comfortable right that he's not going to be right some you know person attack yeah i mean it's all part of this messaging of him this branding of bredesen right i mean so uh not to bury the lead or anything but the final thing before we go into our final segment on the notebook dump uh our dear colleague dave boucher is going to the lone star state uh unfortunately we are losing him to go to an investigative team with the dallas morning news dave congratulations thank Tell you us. Congrats, dave. How, how sad are you on a, a scale of one to ten you're leaving this election i'm gonna miss talking about phil bredesen posing with a chocolate lab to show that he's a huntsman <laughs> he's a sportsman i mean that's this is the stuff that political reporters live for so but <laughs> but, but really it's been a, it's been a privilege to be on the podcast thank you to all our listeners uh for for listening and for giving us uh great feedback uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, Tennessee. I hear Texas is an interesting spot uh, where there's lots of news, and so I'm excited to go. So uh, the reform team should be some variation of Joey, myself, and Natalie. Uh, hopefully, all three of us every week. But you know, we'll see our if our schedules uh, abide by that. Um, again, thanks for for everything uh, with your reporting, Dave, and for the podcast. Moving on. Um, Wait, I did tell Dave that. 
the podcast was going to be more awkward when he left. Oh, certainly. <laughs> certainly. Yeah. No but way. That's okay. Sorry, guys. Awkward silence. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> so the final segment, let's move on to our uh, last section, our notebook dump, a uh, new segment that we're trying out here, just to kind of give you a quick fill of a uh, little bit of news that has happened uh, since our last podcast. Joey, why don't you uh, start it out? Tell us uh, what's new. Yeah, Representative Stephen Fincher, uh, West Tennessee congressman, endorsed uh, Marsha Blackburn in the, the U.S. Senate race, a fellow Republican. Normally, that might not be noteworthy, but Fincher was briefly uh, running for U.S. Senate and had suggested, urged Corker, uh, who, you know, this race is uh, – uh, to replace and urge Corker to get back in. So the fact that he is endorsing Blackburn uh, made some news here. Uh, there was also news about a new poll, Joey, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a Vox, and I'm going to mispronounce this, Joel. How do you I say don't know it? if it's Papuli or Papuli, Papuli. Papuli? Who knows? Yeah, so it's a Republican-aligned uh, pollster uh, that's fairly new. Uh, had a poll that came out showing 51-49, an advantage uh, for uh, Blackburn had no undecideds there because it just it combined whether you were leaning toward a certain candidate. So it showed a slight advantage for Bredesen, uh, kind of consistent with with other recent polling, uh, you know, from the CNN poll last week that showed uh, a five point spread, I believe. Uh, so th- so there's this is now the latest uh, you know poll we have in a long series of polls. Uh, Bredesen up two points according to Vox Populi. In other news. Last week, there was this video that surfaced from a recent Bredesen event at Rhodes College in Memphis in which uh, a guy who the state GOP told me was not a tracker, said he was just a citizen who turned over the video. He approaches Bredesen after the event and asks him about Planned Parenthood funding. Uh, It's no surprise that Bredesen replies saying he guessed if he were in the Senate, he would continue to support funding Planned Parenthood and that he supported what they did. But uh, the GOP basically put this video out and tried to stir up a little bit of controversy over that. I don't think it got that much traction, but we did report on it. Speaking of the GOP in Bredesen, uh, the former governor is out with a new ad that has uh, Republican uh, Party members endorsing his candidacy. Uh, it's interesting. It, it's certainly in line with his previous efforts to show that he's courting independents and Republicans. So check it out. Of course, there's a slew of other ads that are out there that have been new. Um, Marsha Blackburn has also been the subject of a complaint from uh, a group called the American Democracy Legal Fund. They're essentially a liberal organization um, where they filed this complaint with the Congressional Ethics Office about Blackburn's property that we previously reported on here in South Carolina, the property known as Down Yonder. Um, I doubt much will happen with that, given that the timing of this uh, is towards the end of the congressman's uh, term, but we will see uh, what comes out of it. And in some state political news, the story that won't go away, uh, former lawmaker Jeremy Durham, uh, who was ousted from the legislature facing a slew of sexual harassment allegations. That Dave started writing about. Correct. I didn't start the allegations, <laughs> but I did report about some of them that led to his ouster. Um, so he had a lawsuit. He sued the state of Tennessee for refusing to give him benefits. If you're a lawmaker for four consecutive years, two terms, at the time you're entitled to lifetime benefits. He sued the state. A federal judge threw out his lawsuit saying he had essentially sued the wrong people. He appealed, and on appeal, the Sixth Circuit 
uh, appellate court decided that he was right, that he had standing and that he had sued the right people and that it was fine. Essentially, what they did is they kicked the, the issue back down to a local federal court. They didn't rule on the merits of his case, but uh, it's new life for, uh, again, former Representative Jeremy Durham, a uh, uh, Williams County Republican, to potentially receive uh, benefits uh, for his time serving in the legislature. As we wrap up, a couple of key dates coming up. Um, at the end of this month, there will be a campaign finance deadline for Marsha Blackburn and um, uh, Phil Bredesen, of course, will be reporting on those as they come out. We'll do the same with the gubernatorial candidates when they come out early next month. Um, one thing to keep in mind is October 9th, uh, just about two weeks away, voter registration deadline. Uh, so if you haven't registered to vote, you better make sure, check with the state, uh, make sure in time so you can vote on the uh, November 6th uh, general election. And then finally, early voting starts on October 17th. So really right around the corner. Uh, a, a, of course, a quick programming reminder, we will have a special a- episode of the podcast uh, Wednesday, the day after the primary debate or the general debate uh, between Marsha Blackburn and Phil Bredesen. Uh, in closing, I am Joel Ebert, a political reporter here. Dave Boucher, investigative reporter. Joey Garrison. No. Uh, reporter, <laughs> Tennessean. Natalie Allison. I'm also a reporter at the Tennessean. Thanks, for, li- <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks.